Let me just say it's good to be here with you again. Uh, I think this is about the fourth time I've been here in your beautiful sanctuary with a large group of people. It's good to see the church uh, alive and also working very hard in mission as, as, as we heard through those announcements. Uh, the scripture this morning, I wanna say is, is really the first ending of the long Joseph saga. The longest in the Bible, Genesis 37 through 50. A story most of you have at least a childhood acquaintance with. If not, you probably own a copy of the book and you can look it up. <laughs> in summary, the favorite son of his father Jacob, Joseph didn't mind rubbing it in with his brothers that he was that favorite. He was the one with the special coat, remember? We all learned it as a coat of many colors. It's now translated as a coat with long sleeves, not as pretty, but more practical. Joseph was a dreamer whose dreams pointed to his superiority over his brothers. He was the one with the special coat, huh? And it was not only that, he boastfully reported how he was better than they were, how his father loved him more. Jealous, angry, the bros sold him off to a passing caravan of merchants, then went home and told their father that he'd been devoured by a wild animal. Now a lot happens in those intervening years, a lot of trickery and deception, which we're not going into this morning. But today we encounter Joseph who has done quite well for himself in Egypt. He's in the court of Egypt's Pharaoh. He's become sort of an ancient combination of prime minister and secretary of health and human services. The scene opens in Joseph's court with his 11 brothers standing before him, pleading a second time for famine relief. The 10 who sold him into slavery and this time bringing Joseph's blood brother, young Benjamin, a condition Joseph earlier imposed on the others as a condition for securing his help. Bring your kid brother with you, and then we can talk. Of course, the intrigue here is that the brothers have no idea of who it is they're speaking with. Listen then for God's word from the book of Genesis chapter 45, beginning to read at verse one. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph told his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, 
or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice ending, huh? Sort of reminds me of Dana Carney on SNL, the church lady, who might say, well, isn't that special? But it is. Everybody likes happy endings. Everybody makes up. Who doesn't love a happy ending? Who hasn't left the theater or turned off the TV or put down a book and said, it was a great movie, a great novel, but what a terrible ending. <laughs> we like good endings and we have one here. The story goes on for five more chapters. It started eight chapters earlier, but not much will change except perhaps the brothers fear that after dad dies, they're going to get what's coming to them from Joe. But that doesn't happen. The story of Joseph and brothers essentially ends here. We could steal a different title from the psalmist who sings how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, or just keep it simple, call it peace, or its fancier name, reconciliation. More on that later. But let's agree up front. God likes happy endings. Are you with me on this? God is all for resolutions where everyone can rejoice. Not just Joseph and family, but the descendants, the Israelites, who 400 years down the road, having become slaves in Egypt, get an exodus, an escape. Then wandering, grumbling, and complaining about their 40-year plight in the wilderness, they get to cross the Jordan, back into that promised land, promised to Abraham centuries before. 
And it happens again. Their descendants, 600 years hence, after a 70-year exile in Babylon, also get to go back home. Happy endings. And it doesn't stop there. That's only book one. Book two reveals a crucifixion followed by a resurrection. And beyond that, a group of hopeless, helpless disciples get their own resurrection at Pentecost, where the Spirit of God breathes into them new life, where people of God is reborn, renamed church, body of Christ. And they're on their way rejoicing until the next deprivation or persecution. Despite that, the evidence is in. God likes, we may even say provides, happy endings. There's a theme here. Out of bad stuff can come good stuff. You may have such a story yourself. We heard one uh, recently at one of the weekly, weekly dinners we attend at our winter church in Gulf Shores, Alabama. A movie they showed there showed a guy nicknamed Cripple Joe at age five, mischievously playing with an ax he had sliced into his knee. Long story short, he was unable to work the farm with his brothers. So he spent a lot of time studying and going to school until one day, in his 40s, he becomes Banker Joe. Something he gratefully proclaims would never have happened had he not accidentally crippled himself. He doesn't go there, but in the background, you can hear someone screaming, will of God. Unlike Banker Joe, happy endings can be 40 years away, even 70 years away. That's the larger picture. A turning point you can't begin to imagine or name or maybe ever experience yourself. It may be for your children or your grandchildren. You can only trust, which is a step above hope, that all is well and all will be well. Why? Because we know for one thing that our God has a bias for happy endings. But a warning before we move on to today's word of God, namely reconciliation. First, a word of caution about an easy use of God's will. Who says? Who says this event or outcome is of God? Who gets to name it? Who gets to label the result of something as will of God? Who gets to say, it was not you who did that to me, but God? Answer, in today's story, it's Joseph. God sent me before you to preserve life, to preserve them and their people from death by famine. The Egyptians, too. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. But it was them. They sold him to a passing caravan of traders who sold him to the captain of Pharaoh's guard. So what is Joseph saying? God was in this thing. God was able to take your evil act and turn the result to good. Joseph names it 
God's will. But notice who doesn't identify it as such. Certainly not the brothers. Oh, hey, Joe, looks like things worked out pretty well for you. Good thing we sold you into slavery. Must have been God's will, huh? And it wasn't the traders who, brought, who bought him from them. Cheer up, kid, you'll love Egypt. It's probably your God's will you're getting to go there with us. Nor was it even Pharaoh's captain or the big guy himself, whom Joseph made look real good. Thank your God that you're here. Who says it's the will of God? Joseph. Only Joseph. Pastoral Counseling 101. You'll never hear a pastor who knows what she or he is doing say to you, it's God's will. And please don't say it to one another unless you're talking about your own life. And don't even come to that conclusion easily. But we do it a lot, don't we? Lie in a hospital bed or stand next to a casket and listen. It's a euphemistic statement people use for, I don't have a clue what to say here. <laughs> at, least, at least go with the politicians who say, I feel your pain. But even that is rarely true unless you've had the same experience and even then it's rarely possible. If you have to say something, make them I statements about yourself. I felt at a complete loss when my husband died. I was really angry at God when I was diagnosed with cancer. Best thing to say? Nothing. Nothing at all. Just be there. Just listen. A word of caution about labeling things God's will. But Joseph does it, sort of. Says to his brothers, out of this horrible thing you did to me, came something pretty good. God has turned it around, used me to save lives, including yours. So, Joseph implies, I'm not going to get revenge, even demand justice. I'm going to be bigger than that. I'm going to pursue what I think God wants here. Peace, unity, togetherness. What's the word of God I said we'd come back to? Reconciliation. Now that takes me back. Back to seminary days in the mid-60s. Stop calculating my age. <laughs> I, I'm an old guy. It was Vietnam. It was civil rights. It was a time of disunity and anything but peace. Not unlike today. People were divided. Protests were rampant. And along comes the Presbyterian Church with a new confession of faith. Presbyterian, or Church History 101. The church needs to restate what it believes in the context of its age and culture, we said. So instead of relying alone on the 16th century Westminster Confession of Faith, we reached way back and starting with the Nicene and Apostles' Creed, created a book of confessions from history, nine of them in all, 11 now, from various eras of the church's life, capped off with a newly written Confession of 1967, an apt title, 
given the reason for such a compilation. All this to say that the theme of that 1967 confession, a much needed word for that day and ours, was reconciliation. They spoke of four areas, race, international peace, poverty, gender. Believe it or not, it was controversial. We lost members and whole churches. In addition to objections from those who holding the Bible to be literally the inerrant word, read inerrant words of God, rather than sacred texts through which we listen for and hear God's word to us in every age. There was also serious concern over a phrase in the section on international peace, calling on nations, get this, to quote, pursue fresh and responsible relations across every line of conflict, even at risk to national security. You can imagine how the discussion on that went in the 60s by imagining how it would go today. In a world of increasing nationalism at home and abroad, white nationalism, we name it here, with even some calling it Christian nationalism. Reconciliation is God's word to us. Coming together, reuniting, the happy ending God wanted for Joseph and family and God, captured in that final scene of the 12 brothers passing the peace, falling on each other's necks, weepy, weepy, kissy, kissy. That wouldn't fly here even after COVID. But that ancient cultural practice was alive in the early church, where Paul encourages members to greet one another with what? A holy kiss. And where in later liturgy, the practice was inserted after the confession of sin and declaration of pardon, reconciliation with God, and prior to coming to the Lord's table, reconciliation through Christ with one another. You didn't come to communion if you weren't at peace with your sister or brother in Christ. The modern church's peace passing isn't quite there. It wasn't the how you doing, good to see you, coffee hour conversation that some of us do during our passing of the peace. They sought out those from whom they were alienated. At least that's what they were supposed to do us too. Reconciliation is the word, but it's bigger than handshakes and greetings between you and me. The Confession of 1967 recognized that it's at the center of Christian faith. They got it from Paul. You heard it in the lesson. You heard it in the children's time. Reconciliation. The cross is its symbol the church, its vehicle, the world, its end. We began talking this morning about happy endings. We like them. God does too. It's where God wants us to go. It's how God wants it all to end. And that, my friends, is God's will. Amen.